0: How's it going?
1: Doing well. I am doing well. Had a nice weekend, nice relaxing weekend. And uh I'm ready for the week. This is the week we travel to St. George for the I World, can't World Wait. Championships.
0: Yeah. Most of us fly into Vegas, and then there's about a two hour drive trek from Vegas to St. George. Yep. It's
1: gonna be interesting to see who the contenders are. Uh, at the world champs, seventy point three world champs. See if athletes who raced Kona are going to be able to turn around quickly and, and race well. See if Gustav Eden will defend his title, uh, et cetera. So, yeah, yeah, what is it?
0: A three week turnaround or two week? Uh,
1: three three weeks because this is right now we're two week. This weekend it was two weeks after Kona, so athletes who uh a, a lot of athletes who did Kona are finally able to to start working out again yeah uh, <laughs> the first few workouts back personally have been tough, well, not tough, but yeah you, you, you lose some fitness and you're aware of it. But what really destroyed me was lifting. Um, i'm I've basically been almost incapacitated for, <laughs> for three days after doing some squats, deadlifts, and other compound movements. but uh th- that typically goes away after a couple of
0: weeks definitely yeah keep it up but it's kind of funny um the weather's gonna be that. interesting too in saint george uh i know when we did our web or webinar and the 10-day forecast looked like it was gonna be pretty mild but i think it's gonna be pretty chilly at the race start it it is a lot of the athletes
1: we coach are kind of freaking out um because so the women, it seems like they're going to have it worse than the men. The women are racing on Friday, men on Saturday, at least right now, according to the, the the forecast on Friday, the low is 38 degrees, high of 67 on Saturday, the low is 41, high of 70. So, you know, it's going to be close to 40 degrees when the uh, the athletes start, Um, but it's going to warm up quickly. But that doesn't really matter if you're riding two hours on the bike and it's like low forties. Um, so, you know, athletes had many questions. We had a webinar, uh, for all the athletes doing St. George. And the main topic of discussion in the Q and a was what do I wear? What do I wear? And I think it varies person to person. Um, but what have you been advising athletes to
0: wear? They definitely need gloves. And they definitely need some type of toe cover. And most likely they're going to need probably some type of vest um, depending on when they start. I think if they start later, they might be able to do it, with it do it without the vest. And then arm armors I think will be ne- necessary as well. And there's different ways to make that fast. I know arm armors, if they're if your body's wet, it could be hard to get on. So even just taking like socks that are like long socks, cutting them and being able to pull them over will help too. But uh, I even, I've even told athletes to buy hand warmers, because if they can somehow keep their hands warm and their toes warm, that'll be pretty beneficial, uh, especially the toes for the run. And I don't know if anyone here has ever started to run when their toes are numb, it is uncomfortable at first. So if they can manage to keep their toes comfortable on the bike, uh, that'll be important for the run for sure. And then, but yeah, like you said, it's going to be personal for each person. Um, however, you know, with the temperatures the way they look, they're going to need to bundle up a little bit more than a typical race, and and more importantly, I think they're going to need to dry off when they get out out of the water to keep that moisture off their body. Right, drying off is important.
1: One thing to remember when the athletes are going to uh, be coming out of the water, their core temp is going to be pretty high, so everybody's concerned that they're going to be freezing coming out and getting on the bike wet and everything uh it in a wetsuit swim uh, like this in st george when they enter t1 they're going to be pretty warm and they're not even they're not going to be even thinking about how cold they are because they're just not going to be cold Mm -hmm. more than likely um and then you know similar we've essentially been recommending similar things gloves aren't really negotiable in my opinion uh, because that your hands are hitting the wind first and there you have a lot of nerves in your hands hands so it is definitely a case that we know now there i mean there are some recent studies looking at you know whether your hands are hot or cold that sort of governs how you perceive how you're feeling regardless of your core temp so that that's an important consideration uh i've definitely been recommending toe covers you know 40 degrees is is the line, like Mm -hmm. you you probably want to wear toe covers that when you throw in your running shoes, you're not going to be stumbling around. Uh, I've been an arrow helmet is actually good because there's less air circulation to, uh, sort of cool, cool your head down. And that's actually a good thing. So an arrow helmet is good. And then I've been recommending arm warmers. If an athlete isn't super cold nature, they should be fine with gloves, arm warmers, Arrow helmet, and then just stay low and and crank out power. Uh, And for the, especially the athletes who are maybe a little bit larger or who put out more watts, they'll probably be okay with that approach uh, because they're generating more body heat. We think about other athletes who aren't putting out as many watts. They might need to throw on a long-sleeve jersey. I'm a big fan of, like, the Castelli. Gabbo or the Castelli Profetto, like those, that's breathable and I I could come comfortably wear that probably all the way up to sixty degrees and not necessarily overheat. You start overheating a little bit at sixty, but kind of like forty to fifty is the sweet spot for that. Um, And that's tight, so there's no arrow penalty. If you're super cold natured, you know you can throw that on, but uh, otherwise it it definitely like you said is an individual thing um but you know, when it comes to arm warmers it's interesting cuz it's i tested out a lot of arm warmers over the last few years to figure out which uh which ones are are my favorite and you know there's one brand on amazon that i like just cuz they dry really quickly they're easy to to roll on and there are no you can put them on quickly with no wrinkles um so you know i recommended that brand to a bunch of athletes but
0: and that's kind of the key to like getting them on quickly because you know if your skin is wet it's hard to pull some of that tight fitting material on over your arms
1: yeah i mean you just have to roll it on you you don't want to use a compression arm sleeve obviously uh you need just a normal arm sleeve that you can again, you kind of roll it down. So it's like a donut and then you can roll it onto your arm really fast, real, really quickly. So, um, yeah, well, I think everybody will be fine. Uh, people are just concerned because it's starting to get cool everywhere. And nobody is used to every summer everybody forgets what it's what they're supposed to do in the cool weather. And, you know, every summer we're shocked at how hot it gets. And every winter we're shocked at how cold it gets.
0: Oh yeah. Even, even though we've,
1: <laughs> we've experienced dozens of of seasons, changes in seasons.
0: What's interesting is the, the world championships for these two events for Kona, you know, the the full Ironman and the half the, it's polar opposites for with the weather, you know, you have hot and humid down in Kona yeah. and you have, there's potentially going to be snow on the ground in snow canyon. I know one of my athletes they're driving in from Oregon and they were 27 miles away from St. George and there's snow everywhere. So, yeah. I would imagine they're going to see snow on the on race <laughs> morning at some point.
1: I know Joel texted me a picture. He uh he was he's in Cedar City and he texted me a picture and all the cars and the roofs are covered in snow. So it's, I I doubt, well, I don't know. Snow Canyon is named Snow Canyon for a reason, but it's getting pretty warm uh, each day. So, you know, it's getting up to kind of almost 70 degrees Mm -hmm. this week uh, a few times. So low, on average, low 40 degrees high of, you know, call it 65 to 69. So hopefully there won't be a lot of snow. But, uh, but today we have a good topic of discussion um, and we sort of got this idea for the podcast while discussing certain athletes and their limiting beliefs. Um, and as we were discussing this, you know, we started talking about self-identity and how this impacts one's ability to to train well and race well. Uh, and specifically, we, we, we want to talk about how, you know, an athlete's sense of self-efficacy is influenced by the labels or stereotypes others often mistakenly apply to, to them and how late athletes apply certain labels to themselves or view themselves in, in certain ways and, and how these labels or, overly simplified categorizations all influence how athletes view themselves um, because how we view ourselves definitely impacts how we we train. And when we think about self-efficacy, that's essentially one's belief that they can improve or that they can consciously, that they have the ability to Get better, <laughs> so it's somewhat related to that growth mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we were talking about this, you you brought up the idea of of labeling theory, which is important in cr- in criminal justice, and I know you studied uh, labeling theory a bit. So what what's the gist of that?
0: Yeah, so you know, in my past life, I worked in various roles that interacted with law enforcement and in college, you know, we learned about labeling and this is where in sociology or criminology, where people are deemed like a criminal based on certain aspects. And if a person believes this, when they're labeled that, they become that. And, you know, whether they're a student in school and the teacher might label them as a poor student or like in the criminal justice environment, if they're labeled as a criminal, they kind of become that. And I thought this would be interesting to talk about because we talked about, like you mentioned, several athletes that may believe they can't improve on something because, you know, they started the sport at a certain time in life. Uh, For example, a lot of people start swimming later on in life and they might, you know, think they're labeled as an adult onset swimmer and they think their potential is max at a certain point where there's always going to be continuous improvement um you know kind of going back to that growth mindset versus fixed mindset you know we got to make sure we are being careful with how we perceive ourselves because you know if we're confident in our abilities and we continue to work hard at them we can definitely improve
1: exactly and so so like you said one made big example and i think the roots of this theory is is and its application deals with like deviancy or criminal behavior and it's like the idea like you are a criminal and that's all you'll ever be and then because this person is fed this idea the person becomes a criminal and they view because they view themselves as a criminal that's what external actors are feeding them mm-hmm. and and they fulfill that so really so labeling theory it explores how self identity or self conception and how we behave is determined or influenced by others and and also influenced by ourselves and how others and ourselves classify us and this labeling is is associated with self self self-fulfilling prophecies and stereotypes um so it's important to remember that you know it is both ourselves and others influencing how we see ourselves so you have to be careful about how you label yourself and you have to be careful with who you surround yourself with because we are all constantly interpreting feedback from others and assimilating that into how we view ourselves and again this how we view ourselves directly impacts our sense of self-efficacy and our ability to achieve anything is related to, to self-efficacy i mean if we're going to distill the ability of somebody to be successful into one thing i think it's their sense of self-efficacy because it affects everything you do mm-hmm. <laughs> it it determines the beliefs you hold, and and, and or, or the beliefs we hold impact our sense of of self efficacy, and really self efficacy is our belief in our power to affect situations and um improve, and it also impacts our propensity to invest in certain areas like education. If we think that, you know, knowing more can, will impact our ability to achieve things, well, maybe we'll pursue an education, whether it's, you know, organized within academia in the current system or self-study and also investments in health uh, and wellness. And you can sort of connect that to training. Like, obviously if for you athletes who train 25 hours a week, they're training 25 hours a week because they think that will make a difference and investing Mm -hmm. in themselves will Enable them to get better. Um, so you mentioned a little bit about triathlon specifically and examples of athletes internalizing these like self-limiting beliefs. Um, and I think it's good to maybe dive into those a little bit more. Um so you know what what is one you've observed that is 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 common
0: well one I'll start with is even starting at a younger age like i have a nephew that he'll state that he doesn't have the endurance gene and at a certain age like you don't know that or not you just based on circumstances if you're playing around in the playground and people are doing, you know, foot races among each other. They might believe that because they lose one race or something to that nature. And I found this too with older adults, where uh, athletes may like uh, have a if there's like an athlete referral or an inquiry that comes through, and they talk about their past and what they're trying to accomplish. I sometimes will hear people talk about how they were, you know, a football player or basketball player in high school and college, and they don't believe they can pursue like an, like a long course triathlon because of the sports they play when they're younger. And so that's one example I have. And obviously I think there's, there's a a few others we could cover as well, but I'll throw it over to you and see if you've seen any examples as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, that's a good one. And that we can connect that perspective to, you know, the study that we discussed previously with Jim Taylor. Uh, it was that, that study, uh, that was published not too long ago i think it was a, i think it was a stanford study where people were told that that they either had the endurance gene or they didn't have it and whether or not an athlete thought they had the endurance gene or didn't like, like that that influenced their performance regardless of whether they had it or not so so mm-hmm. the, the scientists lied to certain athletes and said they didn't have the endurance gene. And those athletes did worse compared to their sort of baseline performance test. So they, the scientists gave athletes an endurance test. They did it. So they they had a benchmark. And the next time they came in, they told athletes, you have this gene, you don't have this gene. And sometimes they lied. Sometimes they didn't, but the correlation between athletes thinking they had the gene or not having it had a huge impact on the subsequent, performance. So people just believing that they had the gene helped them. Mm -hmm. And people believing that you didn't have the gene negatively impacted you. So that's, that's one study that that's worth covering. And there are other instances in sort of controlled studies where uh, this, this comes up. So, So again, I guess the origins of this theory deals with Specifically, like marginalized groups or stereotypes, and and uh, criminality, and the propensity of people to view themselves a certain way, and then fulfilling that. And uh, another pretty popular study uh, found that when, when students of a certain marginalized group uh, that often is stereotyped was was reminded of their group identity before taking a test, uh, specifically an academic test, they had higher blood pressure rates, they were more cognizant of this identity, and they performed worse on the test uh, than than when they weren't reminded <laughs> of the stereotype or or, or their identity. Uh, so it shows you that self-identity impacts performance. And hearkening back to triathlon training, you know, against swimming is a big one because oftentimes athletes take up swimming after the other two sports. So they aren't identi- they don't identify as a swimmer. Mm-hmm. And it kind of drives me nuts when, uh, you know, athletes we work with, they're like, Oh, he's not a swimmer or, you know, or even if they say I'm a swimmer, but then they don't view themselves as a runner or something. It's like, you're a triathlete. Now you do all three sports, you're a swimmer, you're a cyclist. And you're a runner. But the issue when people don't view themselves as a swimmer specifically is they just don't show up and swim as much. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a self-fulfilling prophecy in the sense that you know athletes, if they think they aren't good at something, oftentimes they don't want to really try to get better at it. Or the main issue is if they view their identity not as a swimmer, as static. So they view themselves as a non-swimmer and then they view this as static. And there are some mental gymnastics that occur there wherein it's almost a it takes some pressure off because it's like, oh, my excuse is that I'm a non-swimmer.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: I am not going to work on the swim because it's pointless. Cause you know, I, I right now, okay. So I laugh, I lack the the sense of self-efficacy to improve my swim. So it, it's just this, and then it becomes this feedback loop because, you know, I think about, you know, in certain training groups and things like that, the subtle jabs, it's just like, oh, you, you're not a swimmer or haha, your bike run is so much better than than your swim. Like these things add up in our minds and it, it definitely impacts one's self-esteem And it can also lead to self-deprecating tendencies. And we have to be careful about debasing ourselves, uh, even if it's playful, because it will impact training and it will impact your ability to progress because you don't see ability as this plastic thing that you can impact. Um, So it's I think that humans in general have the propensity to just label in in just grossly oversimplified ways. And, and that's the issue because I mean, humans are designed to categorize things and label things, but the truth is that's a lazy way <laughs> of viewing the world. And it, it dispels all critical thinking. It's like, he's a non swimmer and he's always going to be a not swimmer. He's going to mm-hmm. suck at swimming forever. Or, you know, this person didn't run growing up. He's a little bit heavier he's never going to be a runner and i view him as just always being a swim cyclist and then he'll i'll catch up to him on the run and pass him or something it's like these categorizations are, are silly <laughs> and it, it 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 made me think about and i think that we sort of approach this podcast in a humorous way but it's like are you in the long course camp or the short course camp? I know we had a coaches and coffee where we discussed our preferences for long course or short course. And, you know, you had to pick a side and, you know, it's, it's silly to have to pick a side, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, everything is, is ideas and, and how we, you know, our abilities in certain disciplines, they're, they're kind of fluid. They, they can change whether we work on them or we neglect them. Um, so that's not, it's not a good thing to, yeah. uh, to label yourself.
0: Yeah. And this can be broken down in many different ways. There, like even from the example of swimming, you know, there you have obviously pool swimming and then you have open water swimming. And I've even met swimmers that grew up in a pretty competitive environment that will classify themselves as not being able to swim well in open water. And, you know, just believing that they tend to maybe swim worse, or they don't. You know, it kind of that that same loop that you talked about. They may not work on their tactics and the skill set in open water to help improve that swim.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, they, if you label 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 yourself as a non swimmer, non biker, or, or non runner, it's going to show up in. And your confidence or lack thereof, and you're not going to think necessarily that you have the the ability to exert control over your motivation to actually do the work. Um, so that that's a big one. That's that's one of the pitfalls here. Um, if you identify yourself as a non-something, you, you're going to sort of half-ass it. You're going to view the swim as a necessary evil, or you're going to mm-hmm. view the run as a necessary evil. And you're not going to do the little things that end up making a big difference. So we often talk about the need to train like a swimmer. And that means learning flip turns. That means, you know, not just hopping in the pool and swimming endlessly. You know, that means having specific goals in each workout, swimming, structured workouts, learning other strokes are good because you end up viewing yourself as a swimmer, and self identity matters, um, because it's going to impact self efficacy, and so it, it, that's one. The swimmer it, concept is obvious, and then it also in running. I found that the athletes who are the best at running, they want to run a lot, and the best runners run more. Uh, it isn't necessarily the best swimmers swim more. I, I will say, say that a lot of the former collegiate swimmers despise swimming; they don't ever want to do it, but. Uh, runners want to run and they want to run. So they run. So then they're, they stay very good runners. Um, Whereas the opposite is also true. If people don't view themselves as runners running gets a, a bad rap, especially among people who didn't, you know, run growing up or do, you know, run high school track and cross country because it was seen as their sports punishment. Right. Uh, so, and you know, if, if there are a lot of potentially negative connotations that come with, with running, but uh, y- you can't have, you can't in really internalize those, th- that negativity surrounding any discipline. You have to view the discipline in a light that will inspire you to show up every day, focus on getting better and comparing your ability in that sport to, to your own ability in that sport, you know, a month ago, six months ago, a year ago, five years ago, and don't compare yourself to others. It's, it's just the best way is to, you know, just look at your own toolbox, look at your own abilities and and try to improve those in in the, the most efficient and productive manner possible. Um, but yeah, so, so there's, there's a lot here But the other piece of this is, you know, who, who are you surrounding yourself with? (laughs) And I'm really careful in, in not conveying that an athlete's ability in any sport is static because they can always improve. I mean, as a coach, you certainly have to be honest with athletes and Mm -hmm. if they're, you know, miles behind in a certain discipline, you know, you can't ignore that or sugarcoat it. You have to be realistic and be like, okay, you're finishing at the bottom 25% of your age group in the bike. Whereas you're in the top 25% and everything else. It's like, we have to figure this out. You're lagging behind on the bike. So let's bring your bike up to a comparable level as your swim and run. And framing it like that is better than like, Oh, wow, your bike sucks. Just like you better buy speed, or, you know, you better just get really far ahead on the swim and hang on for dear life (laughs) or whatever. So um, you know, it's, it's important to tread lightly around this whole thing, because humans, we form our own self belief based on how we think others view us. And, and that's the biggest pitfall. Um, you know, we have to kind of be objective and look at our own abilities and also view them as as fluid. Because if you overly simplify things in a black and white way, that's not good no matter the topic, um, you know many labels are gross oversimplifications that are seen as just static and unchangeable. And and that's an issue. And humans are, are lazy categorizers. And, and because we are lazy categorizers or our natural tendency is to categorize lazily, you know, we have to really hone our critical thinking skills and this is important. And, and, you know, this is one reason why I think like education should be pretty General, especially in like high school and potentially early college, because you're, you're you're learning how to think and cut through the BS. So the ability to think critically and not view your ability as static is
0: really important. And the the one thing you mentioned about the, being a coach or the coaches, is it is the responsibility to identify the opportunities, but it's also their responsibility to help them overcome you know any shortcomings to build that confidence in that area. And you know, like you mentioned, there's going to be different people that we surround ourselves with. So obviously the coach is going to be one person. And then you have teammates or training partners. And then there's family and friends even. And all these people around you um, can influence how you think. And going everyone's heard the rule like you're you're the average of the five people around you. But even more so, like you are going to believe what people are saying around you as well. So it's always important mm-hmm. to surround yourself with a support group that's going to encourage you to put in the work and, and believe in yourself as well. Um, and you mentioned like kind of the static mindset, like, you know, everyone's heard of the growth mindset and the fixed mindset there. There's so many examples with athletes that may have never been the best athlete. You know, everyone's heard the story about Michael Jordan. He was cut from a high school basketball team and is, you know, one of the best basketball players in the world or ever to be around. And while there may have been a certain level of skill and talent, everyone knows the amount of work these athletes put in to get to their level. And that's what it boils down to. Like, if there is an opportunity, you just have to work at it.
1: Yeah, hard work beats talent if talent doesn't work. <laughs> is that yeah. how it goes? So, and that's true. Um, you know, certainly to win Kona or to win a gold medal at the Olympics, you need both talent slash genes and of just a an obsessive work ethic. Uh, you know, Kobe Bryant is another one who is often you know lifted up as just somebody who. Who was a cleaner, and he he outworked everybody, he just like a maniac. He did whatever mm-hmm. it takes to win. And for certain people, yeah, I mean, they might need to adopt this this sort of killer mentality. Whereas other athletes, you know, they might have to focus on nailing uh, triathlon training or endurance training in a more balanced way because they don't necessarily want to sacrifice time with family or you know other domains of their life but the idea is still the same it's like you can still improve within each discipline within the time you have available to train um but we we just have to kind of identify our goals and and be realistic or you know your goals have to be grounded in reality like realistic I, I mean you can have moonshot goals and 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 still and that isn't necessarily a bad thing but it's it's important to understand that you if you work at something you will improve i mean it's obvious but it when you sort of grind it down like we, there are certain sort of self-limiting beliefs that sneak by us and that get into our brain and that, you know, sometimes we forget these obvious, uh, you know, points of view, like you work at something you'll get better at. It's like that, that's an obvious statement. However, we don't apply that. Like so many athletes don't apply that. And you have to identify your sort of your pitfalls or, or what are the, your orientations towards certain disciplines, like what, where is your mental game weak and and how are your beliefs, these subtle beliefs, these subtle labels that you're applying to yourself? how are they manifesting and training, and how are they holding you back? Mm-hmm. And that's really what we're talking about, because oftentimes we're blind to these, or we don't realize how toxic constantly telling yourself that, you know, oh, I hate running or I hate cycling or or you know I, didn't swim as a kid. So I'm never going to be a strong swimmer. It's like, that is all, those are silly excuses. And we might think that we're above them and, but we aren't. And and even if you still show up, say to the pool every day, if you aren't viewing yourself as a swimmer or identifying as a swimmer or doing the things that will make it easier for you to view yourself as a swimmer. You're not going to progress as well. yeah, the most important thing is showing up every day and doing the work, whether or not you believe <laughs> in yourself or not. But at the end of the day, for you to reach your potential, you have to believe in yourself. and you have to believe that uh, you can you can grow and that you'll because if you if you believe that you can, then when challenges arise, you know, you will overcome them competently because you think that, it'll make a difference and and you believe you can. (laughs) So uh, yeah, the little things add up.
0: Yeah. And it's important Yeah, like, you you kind of alluded to this, but being deliberate and being intentional too. like, if you're going to the pool every day and you're just jumping in and swimming a hundred at a time without any focus, you know, you're not going to really improve on anything. You got to break it down, find the drills that are going to help you improve in your stroke and, uh, and go from there, and just reevaluate every single week. Even myself, you know, I remember when I first started swimming, I would only breathe on one side when when I swim in the pool. And I just told myself I was like, okay, i'm I'm only going to do this." And it was called out so often that I make it a deliberate focus every single week to, you know, practice bilateral breathing because it's going to help balance out my stroke and and things like that. So, Uh, There's always things we can work on. You just got to be deliberate with it and be intentional with your time.
1: That's a, that's a good point. Um, You know, the question is, yeah. The other part of this is just because you believe it doesn't, it won't make it true. (laughs) You you do have to do the work (laughs) and poor practice doesn't make perfect, you know, perfect practice makes perfect. And even though you'll never reach perfect, it is the case that you know training deliberately will not only enable you to progress faster, but I mean, it's the most efficient way to do it. And no matter the number of hours per week you are training, optimizing those hours and training deliberately, which is hard, like it's hard work, that's going to you know, lead to greater fitness benefit, that that's going to lead to more progress. Um, and, you know, oftentimes deliberate practice means doing each session kind of is, is a little bit more painful from maybe a mental load perspective. Like in the pool, if you're working on a form hitch, it might be frustrating. Like I think of musicians all the time and, and, you know, I am not a good musician. I sort of play the guitar, but uh, there's a difference between, you know, picking up the guitar and, you know, playing, you know, you know, 12 chords or something, and you only pick songs that have chords, you know, and, mm-hmm. and they're easy to play and that are fun, you know, and that's fine if, if you you're just looking to have fun, but if you're looking to master the guitar, you know, you're going to have to learn scales. You're going to have to learn new chords. You're going to have to learn music theory and you're going to have to, a lot of your practice will be you just, messing up constantly messing up and pushing the limits of your ability and i mean the same thing applies in, in training and in endurance training you have to kind of push your limits and function on the edge of your ability level for your ability level to grow and uh that's what deliberate practice is all about and it's also the case that if you practice deliberately you're also you know sort of training with deliberate efficiency and that's one of our mottos maximum performance with deliberate efficiency or brutal efficiency. Cause oftentimes practicing deliberately can feel brutal at times because there's no guarantee you're, you you might be insecure about functioning at the end of your ability level, because if mm-hmm. you mess up or make mistakes, all of a sudden you're self-conscious about it and you're afraid to leave your comfort zone. Um, but we have to leave our comfort zone if we're going to expand our abilities.
0: Yeah, talking about comfort zone. Even just changing your relationship with effort too is something that we need to look into. And every year, there's there's an athlete or two uh, I start plugging in workouts, and they tell me they're like, I I cannot do this, and I tell them just start the first interval, and and do it one at a time. Sure enough, they knock it out and it, and they crush it, and I think. Certain people do see a workout and it looks scary and intimidating. Um, But once you start completing the work week after week, then you become more comfortable with what what you can actually accomplish and the confidence builds from there.
1: That's a good point there. Yeah, I mean, there are countless athletes who (laughs) who have said – Wow. I mean, I looked at this, this workout and I, I didn't think I was going to be able to do it. And, and I did. And yeah, you, know, you, you and I, and, and the other working triathlete coaches, we don't just prescribe workouts with, with the, you know, the, we never really prescribe a workout with the intention of, of having the athlete fail at the workout, there are certain workouts, especially in swimming, where the model is like, you have to do this at a certain effort until you fail mm-hmm. and then you take a break and then you keep going or, or the workout is designed for you to fail. You know, we don't do that, <laughs> but uh, there's a rationale and science behind, you know, the workouts we're prescribing. And if you're recovered and if you're doing everything right and you're not sick, yeah, I mean, you're going to be able to accomplish every workout we we prescribe, but you know, it certainly is the case that if, if you are sick, or you're you're missing out on recovery or sleep, or you're not feeling well, yeah, I mean, you might have to sort of bail on a workout, or it's wise to to bail on a workout in certain cases. But, you know, in general, that that's not the case. And uh, um, certain workouts should should be challenging. I mean, the goal isn't to simulate a race effort, necessarily, in in, in workouts, but, uh, you know, we definitely need to push the limits and training so that when the race rolls around, we aren't mortified of the pace prescription mm-hmm. <laughs> because especially if one is a new athlete or they don't have a background in swim, bike run or some other sport where, you know, they're pushed, they don't even, they don't realize truly how hard they can go or what, you know, finishing a race with nothing left in the tank actually feels like, um, you know, I mean, and there are ways to sort of, over time, an athlete will realize this. You know, you look at threshold heart rate; like certain intensity zones don't lie. Like we know, based on you know tests, what what you can do. But a lot of athletes, you know, especially when with before the ramp test, which is pretty most athletes should we can dial in their potential, even if they're a beginner with the ramp test. But with the twenty minute test, for example, on the bike that was common, and that you know we still prescribe pretty often like you kind of have to know how to pace that and you have to be willing to (laughs) push your limits and kind of die a little bit in that test to truly kind of get an accurate test and and certain athletes, I've definitely worked with them and you know, they were, they didn't know what it meant to go hard. Uh, But over time you can develop that, that ability. And especially, and if athletes don't realize it in one big epiphany, they could realize it because we just start prescribing harder and harder workouts. And we look at heart rate and it's like, well, they can handle this. They can handle this. They can handle this. And then all of a sudden they're like, wow, I can go way harder than than I think I could.
0: Yep. Yeah. And, and that's a good point too. And if there's the occasion where people look at a pace or a threshold and they, they think they're that's marked in stone and they can't go anything beyond that. Um, I don't ever want to tell someone to lie to an athlete, but there's been times where I've been running with someone and (laughs) I lied about the pace they were going (laughs) because they thought in their head they could only go X pace. So I told them that's the pace they're going, even though we were going faster. And once we completed like an interval or whatever it was at the time, I told them the pace they were actually holding. And then they believe the the new standard set at that point. Um, You know, You can play mind tricks like that, But obviously they're, they're, like you mentioned, you can't cheat fitness, but when athletes are newer or less experienced with how hard they can push their body, uh, you can play some tricks to kind of get there too.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and I don't know, somewhat related, you know, we're thinking about, you know, looping it back to the sense of, of self-efficacy and, you know, maybe that those athletes, they didn't think that they had, they didn't believe they had the capacity to, you know, hit this certain pace target. Um, And, you know, oftentimes if people don't think they have the ability to improve or that they don't think that they have the ability to hit a certain pace target, then they'll completely just shy away from even trying Um, because it's, you know, it's a difficult task, but, but I also think that it's, it can also be productive for athletes to look at their strengths and use those to feel good about potentially maybe their ability to improve in a domain that they're weak in. Mm-hmm. Because you're like, oh, I was able to reach a high level of fitness or whatever and in, in cycling, surely I can translate that to running. Um, and that might inspire them to to do better. And, and so so look at Maybe areas where you have a, a higher sense of or, or belief in self-efficacy, again, your ability to do the things necessary to improve or you know reach a specific goal and and trick kind of trick your mind if you're lacking confidence in an area, use areas that you're strong in as mo- motivation or inspiration to attack a weak goal i'm not saying just always only do the the discipline that you're you're strong in because a lot of athletes do do that and they they shy away from the difficult stuff that will enable them to improve in weak areas um but uh you know it's it's good to highlight your strengths also not just your weaknesses which we're kind of talking about here you know that your your belief to improve in in weak areas like don't don't forget about how far you've come in other areas
0: yeah and when you think about like your strengths too think about the time that you've put in to get there and that can kind of put it in perspective with how you can get your opportunities to the same level yep
1: for sure for sure well you know all of this is good and and when it comes to working track athlete um you know we have dozens of athletes a couple hundred athletes and on the on the team and the good thing is you know i think we have a, a really positive environment and a really positive sort of community culture and one thing you know as as you know our team continues to to grow or or you know athletes start you know, maybe training with, with a group, like a local group, we always want to strive to create a culture of positivity and just sort of relentless support, you know, rather than poking fun at, at athletes, not even like, and I'm not even a lot, most of it is the athletes poking fun at themselves. Mm-hmm. Like there, there are so <laughs> few instances of other athletes, you know, jabbing somebody for being you know a non-swimmer I mean it exists it's there but it's it's just not productive to do that and and you know most of the times a lot of athletes their personalities are one of just kind of fun and and jabbing or light jabbing or light ribbing is is part of it or you know we also look at like spouse dynamics like husband and wife like they have different relationships and and you know sometimes spouses like to poke fun at each other for the for their quirks or whatever but you know when it comes, the trend has to be just supporting athletes and turning non swimmers into swimmers or turning you know people who don't like to run like focusing on you know improvements in running you know ignoring prior race results when looking at future improvements like history of performance does not necessarily predict future performance if you change certain you know aspects of training to improve in, in those disciplines and that's what we're getting at we want to instill a sense of you know a strong sense of self-efficacy in in athletes and have them not consider their their, their limitations as static or or forever because you can you can improve and you can get better
0: absolutely yeah even i know we both lead different group workouts and there's been people that have reached out to me in the cleveland area that say like i don't know if i can keep up i don't want to come because they feel intimidated but it's stepping out of that comfort zone alone which is going to help you because then you're surrounded by a positive group environment And surrounded by people that can push you but really just the the accountability piece too and once you start layering that on top of each other uh, the gains will come
1: totally this is a good one to bring up because yeah there are certain athletes locally in the group workouts that you know that we have here in the nashville area and it's funny because you know we have a lot Uh, a lot of athletes, you know, in, in, in middle Tennessee and we have athletes of all ability levels. And I mean, like literally the, it's a wide range and oftentimes the, um, slower athletes are afraid to to show up, but first of all, it doesn't matter. Like you show up anyway. And if you're behind, like know the route and do the route, Mm -hmm. (laughs) You, you can show up to a group ride and if you get dropped, just It doesn't matter. Finish, finish the ride. Like that—that's part of it. That's part of getting better. You get flogged. Like I remember showing up cross country, like high school cross country, uh, and just as as a a freshman or whatever, and just trying to go out with the top top athletes, you know, who are running sub sixteen. And I just remember Mm -hmm. the first few races just dying (laughs) and dying and dying, totally running in a stupid way. But eventually, you just you continue to progress, you get better, and then you can, you can match them. And it's, it's the same idea. It's just like train with people better then you, you will get better. The other piece of this is like showing up will inspire other athletes of your ability level to show up. Uh, so, so we have a lot of athletes and, you know, 10 of them say, you know, say they run 11 minute miles or something. And none of them show up because they look at the athletes running seven minute miles and they think the whole group is doing that. It's like, no, that's not the case. And if you 10 showed up (laughs) to this group workout, you would have people your pace to work together and improve with. So, you know, it's sort of a silly thing being scared of, of showing up because, and that's ego. It's like dispel your ego, just show up to the group workout because you will get better if you show up period. Like that's the end of discussion. Like nobody is going to judge you. Nobody cares how fast you are, you know, especially at the track. It's like nobody's, everybody's focused on their own intervals. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get dropped on the track because it's a circle and everybody has different (laughs) send-offs anyway, because they're, they're finishing intervals at different times and they're starting at different times depending on the rest interval. But and you can't get lost. <laughs> yeah. And you can't get lost. Like, okay. It's one thing. Don't show up to the 100 mile ride that we post. And it's like, you know, the, the core group is going to go pretty hard. We're going a hundred miles. If you're, if you can't ride hundred miles, yeah, you shouldn't show up with the idea of riding with that front group for a hundred miles, but you know, you, you can do, if it's out and back, you can do maybe 50 miles, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, the, the key is, just just show up (laughs) go at your own pace the pace that you're supposed to go at and you'll have a great time you'll feel better and you'll you'll improve so yeah but uh,
0: some good stuff well anything else
1: uh no i mean i think that covers most of what we wanted to discuss today uh i'm excited i'll see you in a couple days i guess it's monday we're I'm flying in Wednesday in Las Vegas, driving to St. George. We have a couple dozen working triathletes racing at 70.3 St. George. So we're looking forward to that. Um, we'll have a tent in the club tent area. So if anybody wants to come and say hi to us, you know, maybe we'll be there or maybe we'll be out on the course, running around, <laughs> cheering on athletes. However, after the race, the goal is to sort of migrate to that tent and, and hang out. So if you want to meet, us in person or, or talk to other working athletes, definitely do so um come and say hi
0: yeah don't uh don't be afraid to come and say hi it, like you said we'll be on the course during the races for sure and uh but we'll be around i'll be flying in on wednesday as well excited to see you and everyone else out there absolutely
1: well good chatting and if you want to reach out to uh one of the coaches here feel free to email info at workingtriathlete.com or fill out a form on our website, workingtriathlete.com.
0: Hey, thanks for tuning in. Uh, Make sure you do subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a review and share it with a friend. Thanks for tuning in, everyone.
1: See ya.